Our second scripture text this morning comes from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. God drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. This is the word of the Lord. Do you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I have been thinking particularly about one of Dr. King's most famous quotes. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It's a familiar one. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. In the intense struggles of the civil rights movement, Dr. King uh, gave these words and pointed to some kind of hope for those fighting the good fight, looking toward a future where racial justice could be a reality. And I learned recently that that quote was actually inspired by a sermon from abolitionist minister Theodore Parker way back in 1853. And Parker said it this way. He said, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but a little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I'm sure it bends toward justice. Isn't that beautiful? I love that connection between these two pastors. And just how long the ark is is evidenced by the fact that when Dr. King spoke of it, it was nearly a hundred years after Reverend Parker spoke those words, and here we are still talking about it in 2023. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by sight. 
It reminds me of a uh, silly sort of factoid that people share sometimes that has been highly debated um, in many scientific circles, but by and large, folks generally agree that the world, if it were to be shrunk down to the size of a pool ball, a billiard ball, which this isn't exactly, but it's close, it would be just as smooth as a pool ball. The Earth overall is relatively smooth. Proportionately, all of the highest highs and the deepest depths of the Earth, if you shrunk them down by size, would be smooth enough to roll on a table. It's hard to imagine if you picture the very peak of Mount Everest and the very deepest point in the trenches of the Pacific Ocean, that when it's shrunk down, even these extremes by scale still are pretty smooth. When we are at the base of a huge mountain or looking over the edge of maybe the Grand Canyon or something deep, we feel small, don't we? But there's still significance to the peaks and the pits in our natural world and in our own lives to the highs and the lows that we experience as human beings. The world might be fairly smooth overall, but when we're in front of a peak or at the edge of a pit, we don't feel that way. Sometimes we're too close to the pit. Sometimes we're in the pit or on the peak, and it's hard to tell which way the earth is curving. Sometimes we're in the trenches of grief or of pain or of injustice, And the moral arc does not seem to be bending toward justice at all. The psalmist from Psalm 40 speaks about being in a pit. And we don't know the exact situation that they were in as they were talking about this miry bog, but we know that it's sticky and awful feeling and deep, the kind of space where you just can't get any traction with your feet to pull yourself out. We've all experienced some kind of pit in our own life. And the pit is a hard place to be. There's a wonderful uh, pastor and leader in the United Church of Christ world. Um, Her name is Karen Georgia Thompson. And she uh, is a pastor and a poet, and she does a lot of work with racial reconciliation and justice initiatives. And she wrote a poem this year inspired by Psalm 40 and Martin Luther King Jr. And I'd like to share it with you. I invite you to get comfortable to close your eyes if that helps you and to let her words wash over you. This is called, Yet We Wait. Waiting grows old, God. We waited patiently for centuries, waited across time and generations. We're still waiting for you to incline your ear, for you to hear our cry and respond to our tears. I am the voices of the people wailing for change. I am the marchers in the street. I am those who were lynched. I am those who sit sit innocently in jail awaiting freedom. I am the parents of dead bodies littering the streets. I carry their sighs and cries for generations. I bring before you the pain of their living. I wait to be pulled from the miry bog of grave injustices. 
I want to set my feet where liberty lives. I want to exist where my steps and my life are safe and secure. Waiting grows old, God. Forty years in the wilderness, 400 years of enslavement, 40 acres and a mule promised, four years of H.R. 40 languishing in the U.S. Congress while we wait for the affirmation of our worth through repertory justice. Waiting grows old, God. We are growing tired, our souls weary. How long before you respond and show your delight in we, the people, in we, your children, in we, made in your image? I am the voices and cries of generations, past, present, and future. I am the people marching in the streets for ages. I beg you, God, do not withhold your mercy. I beg you, God, let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe as I await deliverance from this waiting. Amen. You may open your eyes. The pit is difficult. Our eyes can only reach a little ways, and we cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure just by sight. Is the moral universe arcing toward justice? The writer of Psalm 40 tells us that they were lifted from the miry pit. With the help of God, they were lifted up, their feet were put on a firm rock, their steps were made secure, and God put a new song in their mouth. I wonder if you've had any experiences in your own life like this. An experience of being in a pit and yet knowing that God's presence is with you somehow. Maybe not even in the moment, maybe just looking back on that experience of a pit, seeing the signs that God was with you and perhaps that God brought you through to the other side, lifted you out. However it happened for this psalmist, getting out of the pit was significant enough that it became a calling in their life. They went on to praise God, to tell the good news to others, and to dedicate their whole life to the work of God and sharing about that salvation. But it also wasn't the end of the story for that psalmist. What we read today, verses 1 through 11, was the first half of Psalm 40. And the last half, there's trouble again. And I encourage you this week, sometime later, to read Psalm 40 in its entirety and notice this. It starts with this praise to God, and it turns into petition, to longing, to lament, to begging for God's quick deliverance in a time of new trouble. This is actually a really unique structure for a psalm. More often, most of the time, in most of the psalms, the writers begin with a lament, a calling to God for help. And then the second half of the psalm is a, a singing of praises, of being rescued, of being delivered. But here, Psalm 40 switches it up. 
It begins with a recounting of God's rescuing action in the past, and then it ends with lament and a petition for help in this new set of circumstances. And I love that this psalm exists because that feels more true to life for me. We often tell ourselves that life looks like this. We start here and then it's this forever upward trajectory as we get more skilled, as we get happier, as we get better opportunities, more and more and more and steady progress up. But actually, life is a lot more like this, isn't it? The pits and the peaks keep coming. And just because we felt God's action in the past doesn't mean we won't struggle again. In this life, we're going to continue to experience highs and lows, and there's nothing wrong with us when that happens. We can see very clearly that this is true through the life of Jesus. Through his ministry, there are great highs where he's literally on a mountain preaching and people recognize that he is something special and they offer praise and there's closeness with God. And then you turn a page and all of a sudden people are trying to run him off a cliff. Jesus enters into the city the last week of his life with a parade of hosannas and palms. And then a few days later, he's abandoned and executed by the empire. When we look closely what Jesus, what Martin Luther King Jr., what the psalmist are showing us is that even through the pits and the peaks, we're surrounded by the love of God and we're called to keep pulling on the fabric of the moral arc toward justice, toward love, toward inclusion. The arcs bending toward justice is not inevitable. If we all just sit back and watch and wait to see when it will come, nothing will happen. We have to get involved, and one of the ways that we do that is by remembering the times that God has helped us out of a pit in the past, by telling those stories and by listening to God's call from within those experiences. I'd like to end with two short examples of people who I have seen do this in really inspirational ways. These are both people that I have come to call friends at various points of my life, and the first is a woman named Rebecca. And I met Rebecca when she was 85 years old. And she had uh, become a widow in her early 50s, pretty unexpectedly. Her husband passed away. And uh, she shared with me about that time, about how it felt like a pit, that it was quite understandably very difficult, a hard time of grief. But her grief, she said, turned into a sense of calling for her. Having lived through that experience, she was able to look back and she said she recognized God's presence in her life during that time through some friends that stood by her and loved her and cared for her well. And so Rebecca made it her new mission to connect very intentionally with widows in her small town. And specifically, she said, I will take every widow who will let me out to dinner and pay the bill. Rebecca saved money in a special account for this, and she 
went alongside these widows, some of them who had been newly widowed, some who had been alone for years, and took them out to dinner, and they shared conversation and told real stories about love and about loss. This was so part of her mission and her personal ministry that when my mom came to visit from out of state, Rebecca took her out to dinner because she'd heard that my stepfather had passed away a few years before. It wasn't a church ministry, it wasn't any official program, but Rebecca's heart was to do this work from the experience of her own pit of grief. This kind of ministry also didn't erase her grief. She said even 30 years later, there were still times when she felt the weight so heavily. But I think that in her ministry, she was bending that arc just a little bit to make widows feel seen and loved and included. I see this in my friend Travis as well. Travis was uh, incarcerated for eight years, and when he finally got out of the prison system, he really struggled. He had a hard time finding a job, finding housing. He really struggled to connect with his two sons, who were uh, teenagers, when he finally was able to get out. And this was a huge experience of pit for Travis. He eventually found a, um, found a wonderful job that he stayed with for years, and he found a men's Bible study group that became like a family to him. And he decided that he was going to take this experience of his own pit and he was going to do something about it. So he started being a part of advocacy groups that petitioned for more opportunities for folks that were re-entering society. He joined uh, as a mentor a recovery or a um, re-entry support group, much like we have here at Fort Street. And he began to mentor and walk with others who were coming out of the prison system and love them well. Travis used his experience of being in the pit to bend the ark just a little bit so that justice was within sight. Perhaps you're in a season where you are on a peak. You feel the patience to call out to God. You can see for miles. But maybe you're in a miry bog somewhere and you can hardly see your own nose. Either way, Psalm 40 reminds us that God is with us and that we are called, like Isaiah, like Martin Luther King Jr., like the disciples, like the psalmist, to be where we are and to plant our feet firmly enough that we might pull on the arc of the moral universe and bend it a little more toward love and inclusion and justice. Sometimes it's in the experiences of our deepest pits that we end up being able to be a light for others, to shine the light of Christ where it is darkest. Here I am, Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy God, justice seems far off. I pray that you would give us people that inspire us to plant our feet and to pull the arc of the moral universe. Show us the way and go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.